0: Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris and I'm Simon Sandspring. And welcome to the
1: latest episode of the Pompey Politics podcast. And today we're going to tackle one of those big issues that affects local politics. And no, it's not parking or poo. They can stay on the uh, they can stay on the back burner. But today we're going to have a look at. Uh, One of the really big issues in the housing sector, and we're going to take a glance at houses of multiple occupancy, which for those of you who follow on the sort of message boards and the the local political forums will know that this has become a really hot topic. So, Simon, what have we got?
0: so um we've got in, in, in a second we've got a recorded interview with uh councillor Hugh Mason who's the cabinet member for uh, for planning policy um so we had a, um, a good chat with him earlier on today um but we are joined live through the powers of the internet um councillor Ben Swan thank you very much for joining us Ben thank you for having me um and uh, yeah so um what we'll do is we'll, we'll play that interview um and then we'll we'll um I'll um I'll Build a picture about HMOs, so houses of multiple occupancy, um, and um, and then we'll, we'll we'll go through that. So um, so let's get cracking. Shall we? Let's hear what um, let's hear what Hugh had to say. Welcome, Hugh, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Um, so I guess we, we we need to kind of get an idea of. Of what um of what that role means um so among other things you're the you're, as I said you're the cabinet member for for planning policy what does that mean and and what does that mean you have responsibility
2: for you are like a planning god how does it what do you, what can you do <laughs> <laughs> I have oversight for planning I am not the person who sits on the planning committee and makes Mm -hmm. planning decisions. But I have to make sure that planning decisions come timely. We've had a period in the past, um, not too distant past, when we were running very far behind hand, largely because of the nitrate directive and COVID. Um, But I have to make sure that we we've caught up and that we are going forward with normal day-to-day planning. The second thing I have oversight of uh, is the construction of the new city plan. Uh, Our last city plan was 2012, and we are producing a new city plan to run to 2014. And so um, I have oversight of that, make sure that all the bits fit together, make sure that there are no political um, minefields that we're straying into, Uh, make sure that we are meeting the needs so far as we can of the people of Portsmouth. And the last thing I have oversight for, although it's not technically in the portfolio, is the ongoing sea defences, because I've been concerned with sea defences in this city uh, for the last 20 years, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing a good completion of them. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a very busy portfolio. Thank you. Well, it it, it keeps me out of the pubs. (laughs) (laughs)
1: absolutely so what the area we're looking to focus on today Hugh is houses of multiple occupancy yes Um, and and it seems to be causing quite a lot of concern for residents about the number of them or the density of them Um, can you just give us an overview of of what powers you and the planning committee might have to to limit or control their development
2: we've got fairly limited powers but in a preamble what I would say is that we're not going to get rid of HMOs anytime shortly, because A, there is a shortage of housing in this city and in the surrounding areas, and B, um, the price of housing is such that quite a lot of young people cannot afford to get onto the housing ladder without uh, a very long time saving. And so a house in multiple occupation, it it gives them uh, a, a place to be um, a place to be, but without uh, the additional costs of having to rent a huge flat. So they're with us for the time being, uh, and a very long time being, I would think. What powers do we have? Quite limited powers. In most councils, mm. they don't have any powers at all. They just let them let them happen. Here, we have... What is after an Article 4 directive, which is a technical term, uh, which we introduced in November 2011, uh, we have quite a lot of um, planning limitations so that we will not allow new houses in multiple occupation if within 50 meters of the proposed house in HM, proposed HMO there are more than 10 percent of the houses as HMOs. We had thought of uh, the possibility of reducing that to 5%, but um, the planning inspectorate, at the government will not wear that. There are a couple of places which, for very peculiar reasons, because of their, um, their seafront areas with a lot of boarding houses, um, do have a 5%, but I think 10% is as low as we could legally go in, in this city. And so we try and control it that way. Also, we... Um, very carefully make sure that the rooms are of the right size, the facilities are of the right size. And um, since um, November, we have been, sorry, September, we have been requiring all of the HMOs, which are over three to four people Mm. in them, to be licensed. Until then, we only licensed the big ones, and now we're licensing them all. And that gives us at least uh, an entree to make sure that the um, properties are in a good condition, that they are, uh, provide the right number of, the right amount of facilities, that there is the right amount of space for people to live in. And so we try and re- we have some, some leeway, some powers to regulate them but they are not particularly extensive
0: Perfect. okay thank you so you, you' kind of it's almost like you you definitely led into our next question in in your in your response there Hugh. so <laughs> um so what needs um oh, sorry I've got out of so what needs to change um to allow communities and and councils to address bad or or over de- developed HMOs, or or perhaps even as you say remove that remove the need altogether what's the What
2: are the the fixes? The long-term fix would be to build more flats, more more houses, to have a bigger housing stock at a price which people can begin to afford. Until that happens, you are going to have houses in multiple occupations. How do we address bad or overdeveloped? houses in multiple occupation. Well, we're, that is what we're using the licensing system for, so that we license them, we make sure that the facilities are good, um, that they are not uh, overdeveloped, so we are cramming too many people into the space. That is um, the, the tool we have. The other thing which we would like to do, and this is something which is being proposed to the planning inspectorate in our revision of the city plan is that when you increase the number of people living in an HMO, if it is in an area where more than 10% of the uh, properties are houses in multiple occupation within this 50 meter radius, just increasing this this will not normally be allowed and you'd have to make a very good case to increase the numbers in that house so if you wanted to increase it let's say from five people to eight people um, you would have to apply for planning permission which would not normally be granted now this is something which uh, so far as i know other places are not doing, but given the pressure in Portsmouth and the pressure of population on housing, we think is very sensible in this city.
0: And, and you, you mentioned that. Does that? And, and forgive me if this is a um, an elementary question as a follow up to that. If the does that kind of take so most of the housing uh, so the HMOs, a lot of them seem to be. Um, seem to be for double rooms for example but are they then allowed to have a couple living in a in that room therefore doubling you know each room kind of therefore therefore kind of doubling the the occupancy is that the is that what you're kind of speaking to there or is is it the number of rooms uh
2: the application is for persons oh, okay. yep. not for for um occupancy right. okay. uh the, the rooms occupied uh it's very difficult to to mm. uh Police that, yeah. of course. You can hardly walk into a person's bedroom and say, Oh, there are two of you here this evening. Mm-hmm. Well, that's contrary to the rules. But uh, what the landlords, and there are some very good landlords of HMOs, be it said, um, I know of some very good ones, uh, what they are applying for is the number of people in the house. They, and this is important because the facilities over and above the bedroom, the kitchen, uh, any living room, is only really for a certain number of people. Okay, no, that yeah.
1: So Hugh, in our yes. in our discussion, you know, there's been lots of discussions online and and I think people acknowledge the council's attempt to try and sort of regulate and register the HMOs. It, it, what what indeed. would you advise um, residents you to that, do if um, they that believe that, one, that there is an unregistered HMO either close to close to where they live because I think there were a number of people who 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 were quite vocal that although this register exists there are a lot more HMOs out there than perhaps the council know about.
2: There are certainly some out there that we don't know about. Um and if you suspect that and if, if it is becoming a problem or you see that it will would bring the number in an area above the ten percent um threshold, then let the um the Portsmouth Planning authorities know, get hold of the city council, get hold of your city councillor, get hold of anybody that you can lay hands on and make that complaint that this is an unregistered HMO. Now, some of these places have been HMOs since before we introduced the Article Four Directive in 2011. And so they have a right to be there, even though they are not properly registered. But as of September, all HMOs should be registered uh, if there are more than three or four people in them, three to four people in them, with the city council, and so we would take an interest in that uh, as soon as uh, it was reported to us. Marvelous! I
1: think you always a always a very difficult uh, difficult area to cover in a city that has yeah. many more people living in the, in it than
2: perhaps the the infrastructure was uh, always designed for. <laughs> Mm. Oh, yes. Well, it's more than just the infrastructure, it is just that we don't have the space where we can build as many new homes as the, the governments uh, would want us to, to meet their assessment of how many houses we need. We are bound to come well below that for the simple reason, we just do not mm. have the space. Now, the the spaces we have, there are some, one or two spaces. Obviously, you have once heard of St. James's Hospital. Um, there'll be more. Though at some stage, there's going to be development on the St. John's College in South Sea. We've still got to work out in detail what we're going to put on the western part of mm. Tipna, but the eastern part of the Tipna Peninsula is is beginning to be developed at the moment well there are places but we will never be able to approach the the target which the government has set for us it is impossible
1: thank you Hugh. that's uh really appreciate you taking the time thank you Hugh.
0: okay so um so really really useful um interview with with you there um I just raise a, a a couple of points that um so um sadly because of um scheduling um we did we had to pre-record um hugh's interview um but as um elizabeth's kind of raised in in the comments with the the database itself for the for the hmo register at pcc hasn't been updated since since february last year um and um she she questioned whether actually it's ways whether it's um, possible to cross match that against the against the 2021 census so um, we will we'll certainly ask you whether that's uh, whether that's um, something that um, that that can be done. Um uh, um, but it certainly kind of raises some points on that. Just to give a, a bit more background, sorry, um, Ben, before we we, we leap into our, our questions with yourself, we we'd been contacted by um, by various uh, people who uh, who'd contacted us via uh, via Facebook, um, some of whom quite concerned about the prospects of of HMOS on their street, or indeed um, those with um, with elderly relatives who kind of feel literally feel quite powerless to be able to be able to do something about um you know a, a seven uh, seven bed hmo um basically springing up uh spring up next to them on a on a on a normally kind of quiet quiet residential street um i know some of the things that um that you kind of mentioned there was about the were, um, were about the rules around them um one of the things that um our, one of our viewers had also brought to our attention was that we'd, we'd seen a video for example on YouTube where. Uh, a developer talks about um, gives their example. So this this was actually a a video um, speaking about two uh, two developers in Portsmouth. We're n- we're not going to name them because at the end of the day, we we've got no way of knowing what what their developments are like for uh, for users or for residents. But just to kind of give those as an example of why developers are kind of into this sort of thing, they they were citing examples of a uh, you know they they take a three bed property, convert it into a into a seven bed. Um, hmo charging about 700 pound uh, a calendar month for each room um having purchased the property for a you know for around two hundred thousand spent uh spent a similar amount on uh, on updating it and now that's now it's uh now you know the property is you know worth over six hundred thousand but it's going to be giving a return of you know just under five thousand um a month so quite a quite a sizable kind of um return uh, but those rules um um, at a fifteen meter radius from from the property and these are the examples from um, from the um specialized planning um, information on Portsmouth city council's website um, and I'll, and I'll put a link to that in, in a chat in a minute um where it talks about 50 meters radius basically from the from the from the front door of the proposed HMO how many um how many other hMOs are there within that fi- uh, 50 meter radius and what are they as a percentage of the number of dwellings um, and if they're if that's going to be 10 percent um, then that's an issue that the rules uh, the rules don't allow for that um, so it, it stops that idea um, but it also the rules kind of provide for um, not for basically to allow Hmos to be a maximum of, of three in a row um, but also not to sandwich a um, another resident uh, family property so you know if you had your family home, uh, and you had an HMO on one side, an HMO couldn't then be um, be put into place, uh, couldn't get registration basically in the on on the other uh, on the other side, um, because uh, because basically that would be um, sandwiching uh, sandwiching your your family dwelling. Um, interestingly enough, we also looked at the looked at the database, and although uh, as um, as Elizabeth pointed out, hadn't been updated since February last year, um, e- even on the information that is there. Um, of the 4,300 on HMOs across the city, um, 38% of them are in PO5. So that's kind of the, the Southwestern corner of the, the corner of the city. Um, 36% of them are in, um, are in PO4, which is the um, Southeastern kind of corner of the, corner of the city. Um, and then another 14% that's in PO1. So if you think uh, PO1 is, is probably um, St. Tom's and the bottom of Nelson, if you think kind of council wards, whereas uh, PO4 is the is the bottom of um uh the bottom of sorry Charles Dickens um and has got St Thomas and probably a, a bit of uh Central Southsea um and um and also St Jude uh, and then kind of PO5 kind of covering a bit a bit of um a bit of central uh, central south sea and um eastern Indian cranes water um but yeah the rest of the city uh, city um have very you know po6 there's only two percent po3 which is the three wards off the island um uh, so that's paul's grove cosham um, drayton and farlington um copner uh PO, copner area is kind of po3 so that about one percent so it kind of seems that they're all kind of clustered around kind of one part of the city but um just, just, kind of speak to that. The video that that um, we we'd been sent as kind of as an example, that was kind of speaking to there being a potential in theory because of that, because of the number of properties across the rest of the city, that there might be room for another kind of seven to eight thousand HMOs across the city. So, um, you know, trebling the the, the kind of it, the existing number. So, quite a big thing to to kind of go into there. Um, did, did you have any kind of initial initial thoughts, Ben, before we get into the questions or? um it feels like quite a long preamble on that one so thank you for bearing with us while we while we kind of got there
3: no that's fine that's fine i mean there are so many issues even just coming out of uh of hugh's piece that i could cover but i think the questions are going to tease the uh the responses for that out okay. so brilliant uh, you know i i think i think we'll cover everything we need to that Perfect. that's cool that brilliant so
1: so Ben, can you just share with us? Obviously, for those that, have, uh, those that don't know you, you are one of the ward councillors for the Koppner ward. Um, now, uh, as Simon touched on, the, the 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 density is in the south, but there's a there seems to be a big expansion coming north. So, can you tell us kind of what your involvement is and what your residents are telling you about the proliferation of HMO?
3: so uh yeah again thanks for having me on um i am obviously uh, the ward councillor for cotton and anchorage park Um i live on the southern border of the ward uh, and that um and by virtue of living there i'm actually in the area that is at the moment most heavily affected uh, by hmos um, and i don't think it's an overstatement to say that it is the preeminent preeminent issue that is being raised to me at the moment um uh, m- multiple occasions we're hearing stories of um issues with drugs um people coming to the properties at all hours um during the day people not being able to use their gardens because of the um the prevalence of the smell of weeds and uh, Uh, and that kind of thing. Um, We're hearing uh, about antisocial behaviour as far as violence Um, and I know um, certainly in one incident, actually very close to where I live, um, uh, there was some antisocial behaviour going on at an HMO and uh, a resident lived next door and just basically asked for them to keep it down because it was one, two o'clock in the morning and uh, this gentleman was hospitalised because uh, this is the kind of thing, um, the you know these are always sold that, uh, that you know they're young professional people going into these properties. But is that really the case? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Um, you know, you've got a property full of uh, of sort of seven, eight, nine people. Um, say nothing about the amount of guests that they have, people staying over and everything, which. Yeah, as Hugh said, quite rightly, it's unpoliceable. So Mm. to my mind, this is an issue that actually needs to be folded into planning policy to say, well, actually. You're signing off on a HMO for seven, eight, nine people. They potentially could all have cars. Their guests could all have cars, so you could be looking at 14, 15, 16 additional cars, literally in the stroke of a pen and quite frankly in a city where uh, green issues um air quality is is you know really being shouted from the highest uh, from the highest levels why have we got a policy that are basically allowing more and more cars into the city it it, it makes no sense to me at all you can't have it both ways you just can't um the other issues you've got are um, whilst these properties are being developed you start to see sewage issues uh, raw sewage coming up through uh, the drains in the street um, we've had a road in our uh, uh, in in cotton Ward that people have had sewage coming up into their houses and, uh, and i know a number of them um, had to be basically evacuated uh, prior to christmas very close very close to christmas um, whilst all this was cleaned up, um, you know we have a Victorian sewage system that is just not—it's not built to cope with the, the massive increase in people that are being added to it. You—you you have a pre, uh, seven, eight toilets in a property. Say nothing of sinks, etc. Well, of course, well, what do you think is going to happen? It's mm. going to overload the system, and that is exactly what we're seeing. So there's just and the on this one the final issue i I will touch on is the issues with developers themselves now i understand uh it's a you know we live in the capitalist system and people want to make money but we have on numerous occasions developers pressuring um sometimes elderly and vulnerable people into signing party wall agreements uh in the course of the developing neighbouring properties, sustained some fairly substantial damage that are leaving people unable to use their heating systems, the fires in their lounge, as we go into the winter. Now, this is just, you know, we can't just say, oh, well, it's just one of those things that has to happen in the city. It is just not acceptable.
1: Thank you, Ben. Simon.
0: Um. Yeah, thank um, Thank you. Yeah. So. Uh, and we get, I think we will tease out some more kind of d- detail on those. But th- as you say, th- that's a that's a lot of things going on. So, so to kind of put that that, that kind of personal level, you know, if, if my elderly relative's got a nice terraced house in a, a normal normal Portsmouth Street, you know, it's, it's a flat fronted sh- uh, street, uh, and is terrified about the HMO application to convert to convert the the three bedroom house next door into a in, into a you know a five or or even more um, person HMO. What can we and her and their neighbours do? What, what, what power do, do, do the people have to, to, try, and, to try and stop it?
3: Uh, well, my, my initial reaction is not enough, quite frankly. Um, I always encourage my residents to get those objections in, speak to their neighbours, so everybody within that close community around that property is aware of it and they can have their say because that's the most important thing residents having their say. Now, whether those re- residents are listened to, that's another problem, but you know, residents and they're told time and time again, oh, there's no pro- there's no point in objecting because nothing's going to improve. It's just going to go through. But if we just sit on our hands and we don't stand up for our communities and we don't stand up for our residents to say, hang on a minute, th- this is not right we are we're elected to represent our residents and our residents are telling us that this is an issue therefore we are duty bound we are morally bound to make that argument so yes make those objections speak to your councillor and uh where necessary they can be called into the committee so deputations can be given in person now the frustrating part of this is we are limited as to what we can do now hugh said that there's not much they can do as a local authority within the local plan yes there are things that can be done i, I fundamentally disagree with this notion that five percent you know isn't going to work because basically we don't fall with the, uh, the 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 planning inspectorate would uh um would poo poo it and, and and it's not going to go through i think we have some very um compelling reasons why we we should be looking to make 5% per 50 meter radius. We're an island city, we're the only island city in the country. So yes, Hugh is right in saying we need to be building more properties, but where are these properties gonna go? Land is finite, it's not an option to reclaim land. It's just not an option because of ecological reasons. It's not gonna happen. So therefore we need to say, that you know this is you know there, there are limitations add to that that we have a university that is growing year on year and yes massive amounts of student uh, housing is being built but what happens after year one mm-hmm. all of these students and people have got to live somewhere so of course an element of hmos are being used uh, by the students and, and you know that's absolutely fine that the, the property's there that's what they're doing it's not the it, I have no umbrage with with the students, but the fact of the matter is the the local authority that was alluded to that were able to uh, say, yes, okay, 5% is correct Uh, in Essex, I believe they are, is because of uh, there was a university and there was lots of um, uh, residents that were being used by university students. Well, we've got the university, we've got a growing university we know hmos are used by um students but equally as i said we have a finite amount of land there's nowhere to keep building these properties so therefore um you know we have special a special situation here unique to us that doesn't appear anywhere else in the country so therefore i think that's a a cast iron reason Mm. to say actually yes five percent is appropriate
0: no. And, and um oh sorry Ian. Um, yeah thank you sorry i was just um again from from the comments we've um you know we, we we've got um uh julie to saying that it is some of the comments um that they've seen um uh, objecting to HMO's, uh applications uh are heartbreaking and, a, and the personal stories of the impacts to, that that's having on on, on people's lives um and, and that you know people should people should you know join together to be to be um uh, to be raising their objections to these things and and uh, elizabeth makes an, another comment about not enough people knowing a, um a, about the hmo application and there's not enough consultation um a, and you know just the notice on a lamppost isn't isn't really sufficient to warn people that that um that that sort of thing is is kind of um about to um without kind of wishing to use dramatic language, is about to, and this is my words not hers that, that's about to kind of hit their neighborhood there's there's a you know there's a there's there's quite a bit there there's a there's the severity of the issues that, that people are experiencing and the, and the examples that, that you've raised are uh, are very distressing um yeah sorry, I on. mean
3: and I mean yeah absolutely the the point uh, that you are having nine or ten houses in a uh, in a road of 40 plus houses you know sometimes double triple even more than that is the mind boggles uh I, it I'm sure it is the legal minimum requirement. However, just because it's the legal requirement, is it the right thing to do? No, absolutely not. As many residents in the road need to be made aware of these and about adjoining roads as well, because obviously this, these developments affect properties in para, uh, roads that are running parallel. So therefore there has to be some kind of better communication apparatus put in place because it is just not fit for purpose at the moment and so that yeah that is an absolutely valid comment and i completely agree um so yeah communication is absolutely it is key because these uh it it seems to all the world that you know people are trying to get these applications in under the radar and you know whether that is or isn't the case that's what it looks like you know, we'll you know we'll try and minimise the amount of objections because you know we'll only tell a few people, and this um, uh, putting posters on um, lamp posts etc. that after one bit of rain are you know illegible just doesn't seem to make sense. So therefore, you know, we could do this better. We could do we could be better at this. We our communication could be fundamentally improved uh, it needs to happen it needs to happen
1: yeah so i guess ben as well as you know the developers obviously making significant profits as kind of simon's alluded to in that sort of preamble the the hmo appears to be satisfying a need so i guess the question is you know what what is that need and, and is there a better way do you think that that, that need could be satisfied
3: Yes, it is satisfying a need to a point, because obviously each HMO that's signed off goes towards the housing Mm. uh, target. And I I get that. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Um, But it it just seems... What bothers me about it is it's a very sterile black and white process. You know, uh, local communities, residents, aren't involved fundamentally in... Any of the process that leads up to these uh, uh, um, these developments, and um, is there a better way? Is there an easier way? Is there an alternative way? Not in a city like Portsmouth, mm. particularly. Um, you know, as I said, we live on an island. Where is where's the land going to come from? And you could say, well, yeah, there's the argument for HMOs, but we we need family homes in mm. the city. Yes, everybody needs to be catered for you're uh, and it's not just a case of saying well okay you let every road have as many hmos as uh, as the planning policy states that uh, and then you've got family homes you've got um, hmos but the problem is the nature of these properties are driving people out of the city mm. i've seen it time and time and time again people who have said to me um hi, uh, great, you you know, hope everything's going okay. Don't actually live in the ward anymore because we've taken the decision to move out of the city because things have got so bad. And and this is the reality, and it's not just one or two people. And at at the moment, I know um, residents who I talk to on a regular basis. There's three or four of them who have put their houses on the market, which of course creates extra stress because that property could potentially be bought up. Mm. And while we're on the subject, I was contacted by a resident about 18 months ago who had um, had an offer accepted on a property in in Cotner in the south of the ward and they were really excited and they got in contact with me and said um, could they could I talk to them about schools in the area and 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 of issues like that and then a week later I was contacted uh, by them saying you know we're so sorry we felt like we wasted your time because uh, HMO developer came in with a higher offer despite the fact they had an offer accepted An HMO uh, developer came in with a much higher offer and they lost the house and they were excited to be moving into Cotner. they were looking forward to it they were excited to the uh, for the possibilities that were open to their children and everything and it was ripped away from them just to satisfy the need to put money in a developer's pocket it it's not right it is not right
1: uh, and you touched on it earlier ben i, I do wonder having looked at this today how, how much of the it's the ripple effect from the university because in when we were talking to um uh Powell in a, the Charles Dickens report, they referenced the fact that, you know, a lot of um large student developments had been sort of put up in, in the centre of the city, but they were really high value rents, sort of eight, nine hundred pounds a month effectively for a bedroom. And looking at that demographic, it sees that it seems to suggest that a lot of the HMOs perhaps as you as you touched on her for the sort of second year, third year students who then move are looking for something, you know, let's be vulgar, a little bit cheaper. Um, but it, 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 it would it be fair to say that that, you know, that ripple effect is now, you know, reaching Copner and and almost pushing families out of 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 some of those wards?
3: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think um you're you're definitely seeing that ripple effect because you know the uh if you um as simon pointed out you you look at some of the uh postcodes in the southern parts of the city and they are saturated um you've got some roads that uh because of the rules before the current uh rules on hmos have been brought in are almost entirely hmos so of course when application when developers are looking at the city they're not looking at areas like that because they know that because of the 10 percent rule they're not going to you know they're not going to get it signed off so everything is going to move further north so we're seeing it in copner we're seeing it in Hilsey. we're we're now starting to hear a few rumbles with anchorage park and it's gonna it's just gonna they're gonna um have as many as they can possibly get in copner and then it's just gonna keep moving and keep moving and keep moving but and here is um an issue that I I believe uh, somebody uh, touched on in the comments, and this is really important, that all the the while all this is going on, the basis of approving HMOs is flawed because you are looking at uh, a HMO register that is wildly out of date. And I will say I was at a uh, uh, a planning committee meeting prior to Christmas uh, in the autumn, and we were told by uh, an officer that, uh, yes, the HMO register has been checked and uh, it's all up to date. Well, not according to the HMO register that's on the website, what is it? You know, is it up to date or are they just saying that path of least resistance? That this is a major, major concern. Um, you know, we you you cannot say that we have a policy and we're going to base approving applications on this policy when certain facets of actions within that policy are not being are not being followed or are not correct. It um, and again, how do you how do you fold in live applications into that? Um, you you put up a graphic that uh, was an example of uh, the the fifty meter radius, uh, and you saw the application property. Um, and also uh, existing, yes, that's the one. So what if you've got three, four applications, live applications within that circle? How is that taken into consideration? It it just seems that it is asking for things to slip through the net, and I would be sure that that would be, that they would. And what do they do? do is the planning department, Going to say, oh well, actually, yeah, we need to go back and look at that, or we need to, um, we we need to uh, say, okay, well, we need to dial that back. I, I don't think they are. We already know that the planning department are majorly behind on uh, approving things. So, you know, again, it goes back to this path of least resistance. They just want to get these applications out the door. And I, I can understand that to a point, you know, when you've got a massive workload, you want to get through it. But you're talking about people's lives and, and their, their quality of, of living. You know, you're talking about people who have got to deal with these developments. And just to say, oh, well, yeah, the system didn't pick up the, there were live applications because it's not really, you know, there is no check and balance for that. It's not good enough. I'm sorry, but it is not good enough. As part of this local plan, that should have been one of the first things in the HMO realm, if you like, that should have been looked at, which is right, okay, how do we sweep all of this up? So communication with residents is much improved. How can we make sure that nothing falls through the gaps and that we're not approving applications whilst there are other thing, other houses in the area? and I'm absolutely telling you that there are property after property after property in the South of Copner that are either under application or they've been approved and are currently being working on. There's no way that there is it's going to be managed in a way that they can say, right. Okay. Well, these applications have, have got to be pushed out because you know, these other ones are going through. It's all just, you know, what, what's the easiest way to do it, you know? And, I, I dare say you know is there an element of well yeah we can probably get away with this we need the properties anyway so you know once it's done it's done it's again it's not good enough you know there are res- residents live in this city not just in my ward right across the city they pay their council tax and they look to the council to represent them and all they're getting is basically sit down shut up and um, there's no point in you objecting will tell you what it is that you want what it is that is best for your area and it is just you know and i i understand that there are rules from central government and i will say um yes i'm in the same party as the government but i'm uh, i have i will and i do criticize uh anything that is wrong and is going to affect my residents you know it doesn't matter what party they are you know nobody gets everything right um, and something that comes up quite frequently at uh, planning committee meetings is oh it's all the government's fault it's all the government's fault Well, oh, we'd love to be able to help but blah, you know blah 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 it's the government's fault I don't really care whose fault it is make it better make the process better stand up for residents and say yeah we hear your concerns we we understand you know you've lived in this area for 30 40 50 years and now you're having to deal with these developments that mean you're not going to, be able to use your garden um, that you're going to have to deal with um, increased noise increased waste sewage issues um, utilities and you know let's also fold into that doctor surgeries dentist surgeries it's difficult enough to get appointments as it is you're bringing in more and more and more people it's not going to get any better and I, I realise to a certain point that there's uh, uh, a political upside to some people to say, "Well, okay, we you know we'll, we can keep highlighting these problems," but you know, there's, everything has to be considered, everything, parking included.
0: Think, and uh, to be fair, those are those are kind of the themes that we're we seeing we're seeing in the comments and. Um... And there's several ideas, and I, and I won't kind of list them all because it's, uh, and we'll we'll pass them on to the council about ways that the um, the communication uh, could could be better. So there's some uh, great suggestions, uh, great suggestions in there of, of some things. Uh, but yeah, again, Elizabeth is saying um, you know all aspects of the community need to be taken into consideration. So many of the HMOs have has a huge impact on many other services. That PCC provides um, housing options, social services, environmental health. So it's you know it seems like this is kind of just part of a wider thing, um, but it's uh, but but the impact is very 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 personal um, when it happens. You know when it happens in your road or in or in your neighbouring road. So um, how? Um, and other than saying badly, how does the how does the council currently manage HMOs and, and applications for for new ones? You, you've kind of alluded a bit there with you know with, um, with what you know what you're saying about what what they should be doing around challenging that policy um, um, what how How do they manage them now?
3: Well, I believe at the moment uh, obviously, with the licensing laws that have come in mm. um, m- many more of the properties are being licensed so so technically speaking in an ideal world issues should be being picked up on and dealt with Mm -hmm. under the um remit of that license um i don't believe that is happening whether that's a staffing issue or um i don't know but it doesn't seem to be happening because uh for people that have hmos already and have issues there doesn't seem to be any kind of solution. There doesn't seem to be any kind of um, way forward for them, other than um, or perhaps get in contact with the landlord, etc. Which is is not an ideal solution by any means. Um, so you're you're seeing. I mean, I, I see issues like uh, some are um, some HMOs have access to garages and parking behind the properties in. Um, certain areas in the south of my ward and um, you have residents actually blocking those uh, they'll, they'll leave their car there so the residents contact me and say well this isn't good enough um, yeah they, they say you know it's uh, we we can't access our garages and things like that and the residents uh, who are part of their car there are basically oh, we can do what we want where do they go they can contact the council the council are saying well well, you really have to, you know, maybe speak to the um, uh, the, 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 uh, the landlords, et cetera. And it, it, it's just, there is a process there, but it, it just, it needs massively improving. So residents feel that they have actually got a point that they can go to and say, hang on, we've got an issue. And almost always they're valid, issues i will say that um and you know it's not beyond the rounds of, of of possibility that the residents you know that these things can be resolved by somebody just coming and saying okay you know could could you think of your neighbors or you know just dialogue mm-hmm. basically i think is what i'm trying to say yeah um but i think um Yeah, so I think there is a process in place, but I don't think it works particularly well. And I, as I said, I think it's a mixture of whether the resources are there within the council to do it. But also I understand, I I, I can well understand from their point of view, it's not always going to be an easy thing to resolve. So sometimes it's a case of hmm, don't really know how to resolve this. So I think I think it's just left to kind of um, just to kind of flow on really without finding any any kind of resolution to it. Um, so in in this discussion, Ben, uh,
1: I think we've you know, we, we've we it, it looks like a very serious and uh, and a quite contentious picture. Um, you know, if we look at the, you know, the effectively the developers, you know, behind this growth in 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 uh, HMOs, is there ever a willingness to work with residents and yourself, you know, or, or is it principally a sort of adversarial um, relationship?
3: I think, unfortunately, it's very much um, adversarial. Uh, I think it's a case of it's very hard nose. The developers know what they want to do. They want to uh, they they want this property sorted. They want to get them done as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible, so they can obviously get people in and start making money from them. Mm. Um, there doesn't seem to be any will to work with the community at all. Um, I myself was asked by a developer, "Oh, come and have a look at what am I." HMOs. So I'm not quite sure what that developer thought that would achieve. Mm. Um, because there, there are many facets as to why I have an issue pers- uh, you know, personally and, and on behalf of my residents. So I'm going to visit one is not going to change that. But it, it's the engagement is a real issue because mm-hmm. residents uh, make objections and, it, and it's public obviously on on the portal and everything and developers are picking up on this and i know that residents have felt intimidated um some of the builders you know when they see them they talk loudly about them um, and as i have also mentioned you have developers who are pressure people into signing um uh, party wall agreements which leave them completely exposed and it it, it just seems they want to get these uh, they want to get these developments done um come hell or high water and and as i said before this is you know you're seeing properties next door that uh, are having damage to them sometimes structural you're having people not being able to use the heating um their fires that they're you know being left with all sorts of issues that the developers are just not taking responsibility for so it it is an adversarial mm. Um, situation. It doesn't need to be that way. I mean, common sense would suggest that these developers want these developments to go ahead. So therefore work with the community, talk to them a little bit and say, okay, um, I've got three, four, five of these properties in a certain area. Um, You know, I work with the the local councillors, speak to the residents and say, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what their concerns are. But it's, it's a money making factory Mm. it's just it just churns and churns and churns and that and really that is the only game in town is is putting that money in their pocket um we hear often the deputations that are given uh at the uh committee meetings um of how altruistic these developers are and how much they love the local community they don't live in the local area at all they don't you know Mm. it's just you know what's that yeah what's a good what what's a good spiel to, to tell the committee? And uh, it, it's not an exaggeration to say I've been to, I mean, I've lost count of the amount of committees that I've, um, planning committees that I've given deputations at, but you hear the same, literally the same, I could give it for them. I mean, I should start saying this to developers. Don't worry about telling up because I know exactly what you're going to say. I'll read it out for you. And This is, is that really defending an applicant? It, it's just...
2: Mm.
3: and the problem is the developers know that the system is um massively biased to them it's a rigged system and they you know and that is uh it, it, it is what it is it's not right but they they know that they know the game they know how to play it um and i dare say um i know some of the developers in the city have good relationships with counselors um and you know if if and i to a point i can't blame them for that if i was a developer and i wanted to be developing in a certain area i think i would probably make contact with the counselors um i think i would be more along the lines of how um you know what what is the easiest and, and least problematic way of doing it but then i um my, I think my, my mother says I was born at 60, so I have a slightly different view of the world uh, so, than, than other people. Well, yeah, so, that, I mean,
1: yeah, that might not make you a very successful developer, I think, Ben. So Simon, <laughs> Simon over yeah, to you.
0: Yeah, so um, just before um, the last question, I'll, I, I, to be fair, to reiterate the, the points you've made there, Ben, uh, it, we're kind of seeing that in the comments where... Um, you know people have identified that you know as essentially the d- developers know how to work within that within the system and the 50 meters and 10 percent policy um there's still lots of latitude effectively latitude within that and and it's that policy that 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 needs changing and uh, as both you and and hugh have, have um have kind of mentioned to uh, uh, another comment is that you know pcc seem to be just just overwhelmed by the sheer quantity of the applications um but given the numbers that, that they were, t- to be fair, given the numbers that on the video that that um, that we listened to as part of our research, that that that, that there, there's definitely no chance of that kind of letting up anytime soon. So it's not like it's a blip that seems to be kind of going away. Um, another another question that was asked was um, in the comments was could could, PP, could PCC suspend all applications until they got the policy in the database sourced Is that is that something they have the power to do? <sighs> Uh, yes, it is something they have the power to do, and it's something
3: that I've asked for on numerous occasions, uh, for the reasons I've stated previously. Which is, if the if the the basis of, ha- of how we form a decision based on the policy are not in order, then it, it would it, it would seem the logical thing that you would say, okay, well, we're going to need to pause this until. As you say, we get our house in order because if the information you're working on to say how many HMAs are there in a certain area, if that's not correct, then you're not making an informa- you're not making a, an informed decision because the information is not correct. So yeah, and it can be paused because it has been done it has been done before, but unfortunately there isn't the will to do that. And I think that is there an element of that is the sheer workload that they have. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's a case of well we've got to keep pushing these through because we're never going to get on top of it. But you raise a very valid point, which is this isn't going away. There's too much money in it.
0: Yeah, this is true. Um, So I guess the $64 million question then is, is what changes would you want to see put in place to to manage the situation better? Um, Well, first and foremost, I think uh,
3: the 5%, um, the 5% threshold uh, per 50 meter radius, um, I think that would fundamentally um, cut down on the amount that there are. And um, Hugh is right. Hugh is absolutely right. We are never going to stop HMOs 100%. And neither would I want that. I have to be absolutely clear on that. I'm not, there should be no HMOs ever. But any development that happens within a community needs to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for, needs to be in sync with that community. It needs to enhance the community or it needs to bring something to the community. Um, You know, we could get into the realms of talking about transient population versus current population, um, community buy-in, things like that, that, you know, when you have a transient population, they don't have that dedication to the local community that long-term residents have. And I think that there, there's an element of that and I know residents have a serious concern about that. And um, I also think bring, uh, adding to the policy um, that certain parts of the city that basically a one size fits all solution is not the way to go. Part, although we are a fairly small island, parts of the city are completely different from other parts of the city. So therefore there needs to be specific planning Um, approaches depending on where you're looking in the city I think that would help I think as as we've said massively improved communication community engagement talking to residents Um, it's something that uh, I know uh, myself and my colleagues have done um, a constant dialogue with residents over HMOs and you know, it's being honest with residents. It is incredibly difficult to get these um, applications stopped, but that doesn't mean our voices can't be heard. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up for other communities and say, right, okay, we're not gonna go quietly. We're going to make a noise and we're gonna say, hang on, we're not happy about this. And it is exactly the right thing to do. Um, I think um, there does need to be a better engagement with the planning department, with residents. Um, again, it's all it, it all comes under this communication because it just, residents need to be sure that their council is working for them rather than saying, well, you know, these developments are gonna happy, happen, it is what it is. We, uh, officers as well as councillors, we all work for the residents of Portsmouth. And I just think it's just all too quickly forgotten and it, that really needs to be the crux of everything we do. We're not, gonna, you know, we're not gonna agree on everything. We're not gonna be able to say, oh, we can solve the HMO problem overnight. But when residents understand what the situation is, they understand the limitations, they, and they have an input into how their community is gonna grow, where they're gonna go, what, what things are gonna look like, then it brings everybody along. And I, and I think at the moment that is a fundamental flaw it, it's that the their the residents their council see them as uh an inconvenience a hindrance to uh development development in the city and it is completely wrong it is completely upside down we we need to be bringing as I said we need to be bringing residents with us and um and basically that is that is the best and most fundamental way that this city is going to improve and we're going to solidify our communities and and make things better i know it all seems very kind of idealistic but i I firmly believe that i firmly believe that
1: brilliant ben thank Thank you you. ever so much a really complex um and challenging topic so thank you so much for uh for, for giving us your time and thanks to everybody who's been uh chipping in and keeping Simon busy online with uh, with all the comments during the show. Um, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris.
0: And our guests have been earlier on. We had uh, the recorded interview from Councillor Hugh Mason, and uh, joining us live on on the stream It's Councillor Benedict Swan for Cotner and Anchorage Park. Thank you, Ben. I've been Simon Sansbury and thank you very much for everyone that's um, that's taken part in the in the comments um, along the stream. It's it's really been a lively topic. So we, we'd like to see kind of what comes out of out of that conversation and some of those uh, sorry those those points that have been made that we haven't been able to. Kind of explore. We'll um, we'll we'll put forward um, uh, to the council and and follow up uh, for listeners and viewers uh, what what their responses are. But um, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, you can catch us uh, next time at six twenty seven um, on Sunday live on Facebook, uh, YouTube, um, LinkedIn, and Twitter or X. Um, but you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcast. So please do remember to uh, like us, comment um subscribe to the stream or subscribe to us on youtube um or just send tea and biscuits because those are also yeah, quite welcome. appreciated always, always like a bit of tea and biscuits so thank you very much and uh, join us next week at six twenty-seven. thank you for listening to this episode of the pompey politics podcast if you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast.
3: Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, okay, the stop. See?
0: It's easy.